0: What are you talking about? (laughs) Hell no. Uh-uh, that ain't going to fly. Facts, homie. Straight facts. I just want to keep it real. It's all I know. Fake news? Uh Uh-uh. Why would you do that? Exactly where did you get that from? Nah, can't believe it. Man, you got to come with some papers. You got to show papers on that. This is it, man. This is the start this is the start yeah man this is how it's gonna start yes man real spiel this is how it's gonna start the show starts huh yes man the intro real spiel real spiel yes real yes yes real indeed good evening i am bryant jones your host welcome to real spiel Real Spiel is a podcast in which I attempt to provide my real spiel on topics ranging from professional sports to politics, whatever tickles my fancy for the evening. How's everybody doing? I hope well. Your listening and viewership is appreciated. Uh, sometimes it just feels like I'm talking into the mic by myself. When, in actuality, if you want to talk about specifics, I am talking into a mic by myself at the moment. But hopefully, on the back end, people will be listening. So, I was going to start the show talking about the Super Bowl, but I feel like everybody's already provided their hot takes regarding that subject. So, I'll just say, I picked the Patriots to win 24-17 to 17. I was not surprised that the Patriots ended up winning. I was surprised by the fashion in which they were able to get the victory over those dirty birds. Based on the way the Atlanta Falcons' offense, uh, excuse me, offense has performed all night or all season, jeez. Late night. Forgive me. Based on the way they performed all season, it should have been expected by some analysts that they would jump out to a quick 21-point score just sheerly based on the athletes that they had on the offensive side of the ball versus the athletes New England had on the defensive side of the ball. But I don't think anybody expected their defense to have that much impact on Tom Brady and not only affecting him in his uh, passing lanes, but affecting his accuracy later on in the game. There were some wide-open touchdowns, at least two I saw, that Tom Brady missed on that throw that Edelman that's going to end up going down in Patriots lore, just like for the Steelers, we have the uh, Immaculate Reception. The Giants have David Tyree, the gum on the helmet, and Mario Manningham. A lot of people forget about Mario Manningham in 2013, but that was an amazing catch down the sideline, too. But, yeah, this will be that for the Patriots. And on that throw, that was Julian Edelman saving Tom Brady from a horrible throw. That should have been picked off or at least tipped. And it was, but it's just Edelman was able to make a miraculous catch. So that's pretty much all the thoughts I have on the Super Bowl. Congratulations to the GOAT, Tom Brady. I'm not a fan of your politics, but I am a fan of your football playing ability, sir. And you showed out. I mean, you didn't play extremely well. You probably didn't deserve the MVP, but based on the way you performed all season and the way you were able to step up in the face of guys like Grady Jarrett, Vic Beasley, Dwight Freeney, there was a Dwight Freeney sighting this postseason. He hadn't had a sack since October and he decided to show up in February for the Super Bowl. So, you know, the game overall was a bit of a disappointment because I found myself rooting for the Falcons by the third quarter specifically Julio Jones, right? My boy Quintora has got four targets, all of which he caught. Even that last one, which should have sealed the game for the Falcons. When a Julio makes a catch like that, he's basically saying, all right, nobody's going to top this catch. Let's just run it from here on out. Not to mention the fact the Falcons ran it five times after they compiled a 21 point lead or it was a 25 point lead. So once they went up 28 to three, they proceeded to run it Five more times after that. What are you doing? You're snapping the ball with 19 seconds left on the clock in the late third quarter. What are you doing, Kyle Shanahan? Like I said, I could talk about the Super Bowl, but enough people have provided their input on that topic. And, you know, we all saw the game. Most people who are somewhat football savvy understood what took place and. You know, I'm not going to rehash that topic too much. I'm more interested in the NBA. Now, I know the Magic play tonight, and I was trying to catch bits and pieces of it. But beyond regional matches, I am so infatuated with Russell Westbrook's play. I know he's leading the league in turnovers and a lot of other numbers that you're not too happy about, like um, negative PER. And, um, I think he is leading the league in least wins above replacement, if I'm not mistaken, but I could have just made that up. So let me go into the stats that I know are true regarding my boy, Russy West, because he's averaging a triple double in a league where averaging a triple double hasn't been seen since 1961. Right? So to put that in its context, the last time someone averaged a triple double, there were no color TVs. We were still listening to terrestrial radio, radio, excuse me, and the NFL had just played in its first championship game. So, to put all those numbers in its context, it's taken that long for another player to approach averaging a triple double. Russell Westbrook is on the cusp of doing so with 31 points. 10 assists, and 10 rebounds, right? Now, the only other player to average a triple-double statistically is the big O, Oscar Robinson, right? Now, Oscar Robertson did this by averaging 31 points, 12 assists, and 11 rebounds. Now, one thing people don't take into account when they're discussing the variances between these two outstanding feats Let's just call them what they are they're both outstanding feats nobody is disparaging the big o's abilities in 1960 but if we want to compare errors which i know people hate to do but if we want to be realistic about what happened the big o averaged those numbers in a league where a team was averaging about 120 possessions per game currently teams average somewhere between 80 and 90 possessions per game so that's an additional 30 possessions per game for those out there counting Now, to put that in its proper perspective, basketball reference suggests that Magic Johnson would have averaged a triple-double three times in his 11-year career had the pace of play been similar to the pace of play that was around when the Big O was compiling all these crazy numbers. Now, I don't know if anybody's ever watched footage of Oscar Robertson or... Bob Cousy or Bill Russell or name a Celtic. I mean, basically that's the only team that was good back then was the Celtics. And they were just giving guys like, uh, uh, Lou Hudson that work. I mean, or Lou Hudson. I can't even think of these guys' names. I mean, it's all black and white. So name a Celtic. They were basically dominating the era. And then there was the big, O just putting up crazy numbers because, The Royals sucked. That's why he went to go play for the Bucks, linked up with Kareem, and got a title. Kareem went to L.A. and got more titles. So, I mean, that's just the way it works. Now, I say all that, like I said, not to disparage what Big O has done, but more to illuminate what Russell Westbrook is doing. Not only is this man not actually 6'3", okay? Anybody that stood next to Russell Westbrook knows he's 6'3 in sneakers. Maybe. Barely 6'3. And he's 195 pounds soaking wet. And I'm probably giving him 10 pounds there. All right. He's a he's a slight guy. All right. Comparable to Alan Iverson. Even though Allen Iverson was even more slight. But in the way he attacks the rim, and the way he looks so much more, I guess. I guess he looks more fragile out there than most guys, even though, I mean, I've seen him literally have a dent in his face and keep playing. So I know he's not more fragile than most guys and the aggressiveness with which he plays would suggest he isn't as fragile as most guys. But I just can't get over the visual piece, seeing him out there just slashing and cutting and falling on the ground. It's like, oh, God, how did he not break every bone in his body? But it's my favorite player to watch. I don't care how many turnovers he has. I don't care how many times he jacks up an ill-advised three with 20 seconds left on the shot clock. I don't care how many times he decides to, you know, we all know what Russell Westbrook does when he plays against really tough teams. He starts to get into the ref a little bit and, you know, starts to come up with some, I don't want to call them excuses, but Russell is a is a really, really um, emotional guy. When he's on the court, and it shows through in his play and some of his actions. So they put a lot on him and they expect a lot from him. I expect a lot from him, and he's delivered. I don't have a bad thing to say about Russell Westbrook. So, all in all, I think he gets overlooked way too much when we're discussing some of these crazy numbers. People always want to look to Harden. People look to Russell Westbrook because of the fact that he's averaging the triple double, but they always say, well, Is he winning? Yeah, he's still in playoff contention in the West. Last year, the West was by far and away the toughest conference in the NBA. Now people want to say, well, the West isn't looking as deep as it was. Why? Because Russell Westbrook is able to average a triple double. It's like they almost want to take something away from what he's doing. But I got to give my boy props, even if it's on a podcast no one listens to. Now. All that stuff about Westbrook segues perfectly into a Golden State Warriors topic. The Golden State Warriors are 43 and eight. Arriving to the all star break. Okay, now they're just getting into the groove of the way they want to play. So I think it's really scary the potential that remains. And I think we've done LeBron James a disservice by disparaging this man's legacy the past week or month or whatever, Charles Barkley and all these different talking heads calling him soft, saying he doesn't want to compete. I think all that is evidence of the fact that we haven't been discussing Golden State enough because if people were, was paying attention, people were paying attention to what Golden State has going on the last month of the regular season, they would notice. Yeah. LeBron has a point. They do need a backup point guard because the Warriors top three starters are all shooting 85% or better from the free throw line. Kevin Durant leads the team in points, blocks, rebounds, and minutes with 26 points, two blocks, eight rebounds, and 35 minutes per game. None of their starters play above 35 minutes per game. And Draymond is out here sacrificing points, rebounds, and assists for KD. All right? It seems like Curry and KD finally got together and realized, hey, Steph, I played with Russell Westbrook. I know about ball dominating point guards. I don't need you to acquiesce. Seems like they finally had that conversation and Steph has figured out in the last month. Oh, OK, I can still be Chef Curry while also having the Slim Reaper in the corner to rip things off for me. I don't know why it took two months to figure that out, but, you know, guys have to get in their groove. So all in all, over the last month, Curry is averaging all right in the month of February alone, 34 points Nine assists and uh four rebounds with three steals. Sorry, my eyes got a little shaky there. It's one o'clock on a Tuesday. please forgive me, or one a m on a Wednesday, so anyway, the only problem I see moving forward for the team, if any, you know this is really me just nitpicking trying to find a topic to discuss trying to find a way that the Cavs can sort of get under the skin of these golden boys is Draymond Green. Now, people have questioned Kevin Durant's mental toughness, mental acumen in the past, and I haven't, right, because I don't play in the NBA, and I don't know how hard it is to make a three-pointer from 35 feet out with, you know, 20, excuse me, with 20-something thousand people screaming your name. I don't understand that pressure, and I don't think I ever will. But the fact remains, some out there have raised the question, some who have been in Kevin Durant's position and some who haven't. But for better or worse, the man's toughness has been questioned in the past. I say all that to say, Draymond Green is a player who doesn't suffer softies well. Is that the best way we can put it? He don't like softies? We all know about Draymond's streak, right? His tough streak. We all know about what got him into the NBA. We all know what makes him such a great player. And we all know about his mentality when it comes to dealing with teammates. No nonsense. So we've seen Kevin Durant and Draymond Green getting to more than a couple arguments on uh, the court. Now, you can say that's nothing. And I tend to lean towards it being nothing. But if we want to look at something to nitpick, Kevin Durant did leave Russell Westbrook. So if Russell Westbrook was nagging too much, maybe the same can be said of Draymond Green after his two year contract is up. Kevin Durant's not Draymond's. I'm just reaching at straws here, people. Obviously, Golden State is the best team in the West, probably in the NBA, and they are more than likely going to run through the playoffs with like four losses total by the time they get to the finals. It's a really scary subject for me to discuss personally because I think they're likely to sweep every team up until they get to the Cavs. I think the best record leading up to the finals was the 2001 Lakers, I want to say. They were like 16-1 and one or something like that on their way to a championship. So I think the Warriors have an opportunity to pull off a feat like that and just add to this legacy, which really pisses me off because they're a cheat code, man. They're a cheat code. But Curry was averaging 26-6-4 and four throughout the uh, regular season prior to approaching the All-Star break. So, like I said, I mean, those numbers are pedestrian for Steph. But now he's starting to hit that real, real stride along with KD. Because KD's game, KD's game is like vanilla ice cream, man. You can mix vanilla ice cream with red velvet cake, chocolate cake, vanilla cake, birthday cake. Vanilla ice cream is a trans-relational flavor, right? Right? Kevin Durant's game translates anywhere, all right? He can find shots in any offense. When people say, well, how's Kevin Durant going to fit? He's going to fit in, all right? He's like Play-Doh. Just mold him into the spot you need, and he'll get you 30. Kevin Durant is that kind of great. So the fact that it was ever a question about whose team this was going to be when Kevin Durant got there is going to be Kevin Durant's team, in actuality in theory it can be steps all day but in actuality Kevin Durant is the guy who's taking the big shot and making the big block the big rebound at least throughout the regular season we'll see what happens in the playoffs but that's one of those things that I think could be a snag in their armor to an extent the off the court spats which can get old after a while I don't care how much you love a team I don't care how well you guys are playing together I can be great anywhere, especially once they've won a title. Like, if they win a title together this year, there's no way Kevin Durant's going to be dealing with Draymond Green's bickering every week for the rest of his career. There's just no way. So, you know, teams always break up. Great teams. We've seen it in the past, and we'll see it again with this one, especially a team that was manufactured, so to speak, by the players themselves. So, it's going to be interesting. Not really, because we know it's going to be Cavs and Warriors in the finals. But once we get to June, it'll be interesting. Up until then, we're just looking at headlines, hoping something comes to fruition. But one of the interesting things I did see about jumping back to Russell Westbrook, this new Foot Locker commercial. I haven't seen it yet, but it seems like Russell Westbrook is poking fun at his own triple-double stats it came out the other day. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to play, but I'm going to anyway because I break rules. So let's see what Russell had to say about his crazy numbers that everybody seems to love so much.
1: Yo, Russ, Russ Jordan gear. It's February. Foot is bring the best of the best, like these new 31s. You're bringing it too, putting up all those triple doubles. For me, it's all about getting wins. But if you want to focus on the stats, you should know I crash into 1.7 men per night. Well, I didn't know there was a staff for that. And I've created two times more parental neglect than any other player. Oh, buddy, this guy's are amazing. And I lead the league in minutes talking to myself intensely. Better show up tonight. Oh, I'll show up. You just worry about yourself. You worry about yourself. You worry about yourself. Oh, you worry about yourself. That's impressive. And my highlights kept Vine alive for an additional 7.4 months. Whoa,
2: whoa, whoa. Westbrook just posterized another grown man in exactly six
1: seconds. Woo! And I'm appearing in 72% of opposing coaches' nightmares. See you tomorrow. Plus, I'm the all-time greatest wrestler in league history. Oh really? Okay. Second greatest wrestler in league history. thought so
0: that was funny. Um, yeah, that was Bill Russell at the end there saying, Oh, really? For youngins out there that don't recognize greatness when they hear it. Uh yeah. The second greatest wrestler. I don't know. Is he? D'Angelo Russell have something to say about that maybe in 10 years. Highly doubt that. But, yeah, it's an interesting commercial. I like the fact that Russell Westbrook has some humor about this thing because he is extremely intense in interviews and the game. I mean, just everything he does seems really intense. I mean, even that if you go on YouTube and search Russell Westbrook's ascension or something like that, it's like a video of him. Like this documentary thing they did on him or some local news report they did on him in L.A. when he was like a sophomore. From sophomore year to senior year, I guess he grew seven inches or something and started dunking. And then he started to get recognized as a prep all star later in his senior year. Like he wasn't a highly recruited guy. And if you look at him when he was 17 years old, ah, man, talk about frail. I mean, if you think he's small now, man. At that time, it looked wild that he could even get above the rim, but he was able to, and he's that ability has carried him to this point, and it's going to continue to carry him, along with all that animus he has towards Kevin Durant. And I know a lot of people suspect, well, you know, he'll get over it. Russell Westbrook is just a little more intense than KD is. That we already knew, but I don't think we knew the extent to Russell Westbrook's pettiness. Listen to this and tell me exactly how you think Russell Westbrook feels about Kevin Durant.
1: Thunder will be in Salt Lake City to play the Utah Jazz. Thunder be in Salt Lake City to play. Day. Thunder will be in Salt Lake City to play the Utah Jazz.
0: Now, if you couldn't hear that, I played it three times for you. Post game, uh, Bleacher Report columnists caught Russell Westbrook saying, Don't shake Kevin Durant's hand following their loss to the Warriors. He used some choice words I won't elect to use on this podcast, but you heard him. He's not feeling that BA, right? He's not feeling that boy. He does not rock with Durant. And when you hear about the way Kevin Durant decided to depart ways with Russell Westbrook, and it's not just the thunder. People can say, well, he left the team. He left the organization. He and Russell came up together. And I've never been on a professional team. I've never been drafted along with another guy that I felt I looked to as my professional brother you know what I mean like they're they're basically professional brothers like they're partners in a business that is the Oklahoma City Thunder and the weird thing about basketball is it really is an individual sport because one player can take over a game like one guy can decide to just take over the entire complexion of one game and say I'm gonna put my footprint or thumbprint on everything from scoring to rebounding to defending to everything right no other sport can a player do that unless it's hockey or soccer something comparable so that's the weird thing about basketball is you're playing a team sport where it's extremely easy to lose sight of the fact that it's a team sport like it's easy for Russell Westbrook to put on blinders and say I'm going balls to the wall right I'm going to Get every rebound. I'm going to score every basket. I'm going to get every assist. And I feel that way too often Westbrook got into that mode when Kevin Durant was sacrificing efficiency and shots and he got frustrated with it after a while. So that's the weird thing about basketball and about basketball greatness, especially great offensive talents and how they sort of can get a little temperamental after seven years of no winning championships. I mean, hell, we've seen teams that won championships and still get temperamental because one guy's not getting the credit he feels he deserves. So all types of things like that happen with basketball teams, prima donnas and whatnot that don't occur in other sports. Now, since the West is decided, we all know... The Warriors are running away with that conference Spurs are right there and it will be Warriors Spurs in the Western Conference finals unless the Houston Rockets has something to say about it. But I'm picking Warriors to beat them in five games. I just don't see San Antonio being able to offensively put up the output that Golden State can. All of that leads me to want to talk about the messiness going on in New York. I don't like drama, but the Eastern Conference provides it in spades. So I'm just going to dig into that because we all know the Cavs are running away with the East and the Knicks are such a mess. It's fun to talk about. So the Zen master Phil Jackson recently referenced a Bleacher Report article regarding Mellow's will to win. Now, this is just the latest in a string of shade. Phil Jackson has thrown Mellow's way, starting with. Just. The fact that Phil Jackson came to New York and questioned whether or not Mello wanted to be there when Mello was the one who re-signed, when Mello was the one who put a no trade clause in his contract just so he could decide when he was ready to leave New York when Mello is the one that forced his way out of Denver just to get to New York and was being quartered by pretty much every team that needed a score, which is every team and decided to stay in New York. So I think it's kind of ironic That the king of LA, former king of LA, Mr. Phil Jackson, Zen master himself, is questioning a New Yorker's want to remain in New York. That just seems very interesting to me because Phil Jackson is the one who it was questioned whether or not he would be attending every home game in MSG it was questioned whether or not he was taking this job simply because he was offered 12 million per year. All these things were questioned. Phil Jackson's heart was questioned way more so than Mello's is the same Phil Jackson whose writer friend, Charlie Rosen decided to publish an article about Mello's, usefulness in new york or lack thereof rather he basically said that he's worn out his welcome in new york right where would that information have come from if not new york's front office why are they so messy why are they throwing so much shade at probably the greatest player in their franchise's history i mean who they got patrick ewing Patrick Ewing was great. But are you taking Patrick Ewing or Carmelo Anthony? You know the answer. Now, Phil Jackson has requested Kevin Love straight up for Melo. LeBron James denies those reports, but he just don't like Phil Jackson. He um has a no trade clause that can be waived up until February 23rd. And I truly believe Phil Jackson is throwing all these sneak disses out there in the media just to force Mello's hand. Like he wants the fans and the media to be labeled the bad guys when anyone with any modicum of sense understands Phil Jackson is pulling all these strings. All right. He's Geppetto and guys like Charlie Rosen are definitely his Pinocchio's. Bill Jackson is one of those guys who constantly regards himself as a psychological genius. And it's not to say he isn't. I mean, I just think he's a really good babysitter. Personally, I think he's just really good at handling high. I just think he's really good at handling divas, diva players. I think he's really good at handling emotional athletes. I think he's really good at dealing with athletes in general. And that's a skill. That's definitely a skill. That doesn't make him the greatest coach of all time It makes him one of the most interesting personalities of all time in the NBA. I love Phil, but I think he think I believe he thinks too highly of himself in instances like this. And the modern day player is completely turned off by it. The two recently met in a conversation that was labeled contentious by the sports media. And. I find it hard to believe that any meeting between Phil Jackson and Melo can be labeled anything other than contentious at this point. They're throwing shade at each other on social media. Sneak. This is in the real written media, print media. And I truly think that Melo didn't want Phil Jackson to come there in the first place. I mean, players talk, Melo and Kobe are good friends. I'm quite certain. Kobe had some things to say about Phil Jackson as a coach. What Kobe wasn't sure about was Phil Jackson's acumen and willingness even to perform as a GM or president of basketball operations, whatever the hell it is Phil's doing. Now, all in all, I think Mello was excited about the prospect of working with him and he welcomed him with open arms. But I can't say the same for Phil. I can't say that. I view Phil as a welcoming individual, right? In December, Mello passively alluded to Phil Jackson's negativity as something the Knicks didn't need, right? We all know Phil Jackson can be one of those nonchalant smart alecks, which turns a lot of people off. I mean, it's one of those It's a California sensibility that turns a lot of urban individuals off. So I'm not surprised that the media hasn't taken a liking to Phil in New York, and I'm not surprised that the players and fans haven't either. Because Phil has always had this sort of I'm better than you personality when addressing media and fans. So why people would expect that to change or evolve with his old age is beyond me, but they paid him all that money. And he brought in Porzingis. So he took a chance there. At least he's pretty good, right? When he's healthy and hitting threes, which is often enough. (laughs) That's enough about the Knicks, though. I'm just going to let Russell Westbrook address all my comments regarding the New York Knicks from now on, because he can state it more eloquently than I ever could
1: bro what are you talking about man bro i'm out man i niggas tripping
0: real spiel and that's all mellow should have to say about that now on real spiel we have a segment i like to call why would you say that or things that shouldn't be said it's a working title but i do have some production for it and basically it's just things people shouldn't say, but they say anyways. Did he really just say that? Why would you say that? Funny how? I mean, what's funny about it? <laughs> yeah, Tommy, no, you got it all go wrong.
1: Oh, oh, Anthony.
2: He's a big boy. He knows what he said. What'd you say? No, no, I don't know. You said
0: Did you really? No. No. Ain't no way. There is a way. People say stupid things all the time. And sometimes they say them without thinking people are listening. Sometimes they say them intentionally while people have cameras right in front of their faces. And sometimes they don't realize the ramifications of what they are saying on future ability to earn income and not look like a jackass. So... Without further ado, I bring you things people shouldn't say, but no. they went ahead and said anyways. Now, the first contestant is Sean Connery. One sir Sean Connery was on an interview with Barbara Walters back in the day, and he had some pretty shifty things, let's just call them shifty, to say about Spousal abuse.
1: Love
2: that. I haven't changed my opinion.
1: You haven't? No,
2: not at all. You think
1: it's good to slap a woman?
2: No, I don't think it's good. You I don't think, think it's bad. It must, I don't think it's that bad. I think that it depends entirely on the circumstances and if it merits it. Yeah.
1: Well, what would merit it?
2: Well, if you have tried everything else, and women are pretty good at this, they can't leave it alone. Uh, they don't they want to have the, the the last word, and you give them the laugh, last word, but they're not happy with the last word. They want to say it again and and get into a really provocative situation. Then, I think it's absolutely right.
1: To give a good slap.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Good? Huh?
1: Wait till people see this interview. Are you going to get male?
2: Might get some female. <laughs> Love
0: that. Whoa, man. Cue statements from back in the day that currently ruin your career. Round one certainly goes to Sean Connery there. Now, hold on to your hats because I know you're wondering how you're going to top that. How are you going to top Sean Connery basically saying he likes to hit women and afterwards saying I'm going to get more women based on the fact that I like to hit women. I'll tell you how I'm going to top it the only way I know how, with the Bishop Magic Don Juan on a pimp seminar to address the concerns of modern day hustlers.
1: If I got into this pimp thing, I wanna do it the right way and learn some of the unwritten rules. That's why I was talking about the seminar, so that we can get players to come down there and bring their grievance, their problem, uh, how to catch a hooker, uh, what you do to be a boss player. Uh, What do I say to my wife when I decided that I wanted to be a true player and walk out on the family? We need a seminar so we can teach these guys, to give them the right understanding so they know.
0: Yeah. The necessities, right? Industry insight with a professional pimp is necessary if you're trying to get into the pimping game and learn some of the unreading rules, as my boy with the finger curl said at the outset of that video. Man, I think Bishop Don Juan won that round. Simply based on the fact that he was dead serious. I think that there was a little joking in Sean Connery's tone just based on the fact that he started laughing. Most of that could have had to do with the awkward silence and Barbara Walters staring daggers at him. And my only response to Barbara Walters in that interview would have been, you better stop looking at him sideways before he knocks that look right off your face. Because clearly he's shown he has no problem knocking a chick out. And by happenstance, that subject segues perfectly into a Floyd Mayweather discussion. My closing thoughts for the evening are Mayweather versus McGregor. Is it a done deal? I like to think that it's 70% wrapped up, right? Both fighters realize this is the highest purse either of them stand to make in their professional fighting careers. Mayweather specifically understands McGregor is the only fighter with the ratings power to produce a 50 and O that's meaningful in fight fans eyes, whether or not it's from a different genre of fighting in MMA. I think people will respect the fact that Mayweather is taking on a challenger that is more fan fan is more of a fan favorite than going up against Maidana again. Of course, we would all love to see Floyd fight Gennady Golovkin or uh, Canelo or somebody of that stature in professional boxing, but he's proven he's not taking those fights anymore, right? He's 37 years old. He knows he's coming up on the tail end of his career and he wants an easy nine figure payday. He saw the, green grass on the other side of the tracks after fighting Pacquiao and understood this is my worth. And this is what I'm commanding moving forward. Anytime I'm going to take a punch. So I can't throw any shade at his negotiating tactic at this point, because up until now he has been the biggest ratings draw in professional fighting, boxing, MMA, whatever. But Floyd's, a smart man, not book smart, but business smart, and he understands that boxing's on a decline and MMA is on an incline. Otherwise, he wouldn't even mention Conor McGregor's name. Three years ago, you'd be hard pressed to get him to name any MMA fighter. Right? He didn't respect the art form. He didn't even know Ronda Rousey's name, and it wasn't. A disrespect type thing. He was asked about Ronda Rousey as the champion of women's MMA two years ago. I think it was before, you know, she was the biggest superstar in the world for women's fighting, but she was a big deal in fighting and he didn't even know her name. So Floyd stays in his bubble. And the only thing Floyd is concerned with is Floyd and Floyd's money. So I have no problem with him taking Dana and Connor to task for what he feels he deserves. At that same token, Floyd needs to recognize the position he's in regarding Conor McGregor and McGregor productions, because McGregor productions, promotions, whatever you want to call it, has the ability to bring at least 2 million pay-per-view buys. He's shown that twice, three times now, consistently. He's carrying a country on his back. And if he can bring 2 million pay-per-view buys himself, He doesn't need Floyd. He doesn't need to jump into the boxing ring. He could fight Joe Schmoe over in Ireland and still draw 500,000 to a million pay-per-view buys by himself with just the McGregor name. So he doesn't want to do that because MMA is more taxing on the body and he has a shorter shelf life. But if he was able to make the transition to boxing, which California has already licensed him, I see no reason. He shouldn't take that fight because it's a win win. Say he goes 12 rounds with Floyd, say he goes 10 rounds and Floyd beats him in a technical knockout in the 10th round, ninth round. So what? Conor McGregor can just say, I hopped in the boxing ring with your supposed greatest of all time. Lasted 10 rounds in a sport I've never competed in professionally and made at least 50 million dollars. Because that's probably what he's going to walk away with if this fight ever comes to fruition. He'll probably walk away with at least a solid 50 to 60 million and Floyd will walk away with his nine figure payout. No way both of them get nine figures. No way. And if that's what it comes down to a dick showing contest between who's going to get 100 million first, Floyd's going to win that battle all day because of longevity. And even now, Floyd has more Instagram followers. Floyd has more mentions in the social media sphere, which I know is sort of a shoddy analytic, but it's it's indicative of mentions and it's indicative of you know traction so whether it's negative or positive floyd gets it and he understands his ability to impact a a uh, a purse a fight purse and an overall promotion so i can't begrudge floyd for wanting to make his money but he needs to understand ufc's on the incline and boxing is on the decline so Real recognizes real and Floyd's no dummy he wants that money and he's gonna get it that being said, Connor's no slouch either he made a reported forty million last year in twenty sixteen right and that was before he was solidified as the biggest fight superstar in America for sure. But people forget his international flair is strong. He can go to any country in the world and get recognized right now. He's on that Mike Tyson in 1992. He's got that sort of aura surrounding him and he's likable. So those things all go hand in hand with the marketing mix. So I'm very interested to see how that progresses. And beyond that, Anthony Joshua, and Vladimir Klitschko fight in March. So, boxing is looking fun, man. We got some heavyweights, we got some strong middleweights, and MMA is obviously flourishing more than anyone could have imagined when that first cage match took place in the 1990s. And I digress. Well, folks, that's all I have for the evening. Ladies and gentlemen, if you took the time to listen to this podcast, I truly love you. And I do mean that. The only favor I'll ask is that you continue to listen. And if you're a fan or foe, subscribe, review, get involved in the creative process and reach out. I love answering questions and talking back and forth about everything I talk about on this podcast. So if you like what you hear, give me a holla. I am going to leave you with some smooth tunes as always. This is Gary Clark Jr. Things are changing captured in Warner Brothers Live Room. Hope you folks enjoy. I love smooth jazz, smooth, soulful, funky type beats, and I love guitar players. So Gary Clark Jr. ranks right up there with the best doing it right now. And if you're not a fan, I hope I can introduce you again, much love and keep on pushing. I'm out.